And you'll find our passage for this morning on page number 55. We've been going through the book of Exodus. This is the the second book in what we call the Old Testament. And if you're uh, first time here with us this morning, if you're just unfamiliar with the story as a whole, what we've seen so far is that God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And they've cried out to God. It's a harsh slavery. It's a harsh penalty. Uh, And so they've cried out to God and God has moved to rescue his people. And the way that he's done that is by going after Egypt with ten plagues, what we call ten plagues. And he has just uh, he's just carried out the last one, the worst one, the death of the firstborn. And in the midst of that, he has given his people Israel a way out of uh, that judgment, a way out of that wrath. And it's called Passover and where they've taken a lamb. A lamb without blemish, and they take the lamb and they slaughter the lamb, and they take its blood and they paint it on their doorpost, and they eat uh, they eat the meal together as a family or as a group of families together. And what happens is when God passes through Egypt to carry out His last judgment, His final judgment, He passes over all those who are covered by the blood of the lamb. And so we've just seen that happen. God has freed his people. They're about to get on the move. And then we kind of have this interesting parentheses, for lack of a better word, that we're going to read right now. So if you would follow along with me, Acts chapter 12, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall, t- you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger uh, will sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. And remember when we see that word host, um, divisions or regiments. I want you to picture that this is an army being prepared. And so they're coming out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you will keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory." You will tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, 
And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you won't redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider your word, even a strange word like this one, I pray that you would help us to understand it, that you would give enlightenment to our eyes and to our souls, or that we would be refreshed even by your word. Lord, would you speak and would you speak to our hearts? Lord, would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes? Would you change us, transform us? Help us to, to see what it is that we value, what it is that we care about. And if it's not you, and to own that and to repent of that and turn to you. Uh, but to love the fact that we are covered by the blood of a lamb. Not, not a lamb, not a sheep, uh, but the spotless lamb Jesus, your son. Uh, and if we are covered in him, then, then we are called to remember. And so, Lord, would you bless uh, the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for my, uh, for most of my growing up years, the routines of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter uh, were, you could set your clock by them, right? Uh, what we did, we, you could even call it a ritual, right? And probably for many of you, the story is the same, right? That, that what we did, when we did it, how we did it, and who we saw when we did it, right, were the same Every year, we would start at my house, and then we would go to my dad's parents and spend a few hours there, and then we would go to my mom's parents and spend a few hours there, and usually we would end up back at home, right? And that was true for every major holiday. It was a, it was a ritual, right? It was a routine. Uh, and the reason I mention that is because Especially when we come to a passage passage like this, we're hearing about rituals that we don't really understand. Uh, We've probably never, I would imagine in in this room, probably never participated in any of these. And so uh, it seems strange to us what's going on here. And so we need to understand at the outset that we, human beings, we ritualize everything that matters to us, right? 
We make rituals out of those things that are important to us. The reason we did what we did every holiday was meant to convey something about who we were. It was a part of our identity, right? The, the, the reason we do the things we do is because we're telling a story about who we are. Does that make sense, right? That, that especially the most important things, we make rituals out of the things that matter the most to us. Uh, the things we do tell the story of who we are, and that's what's happening in this passage, right? So, so just so that we have kind of a helpful framework as we jump down into each one of these, uh, these religious observances, we need to understand that the reason we even have rituals is because they convey meaning about who we are, right? So, for instance, if you're just a rabid Auburn fan, right, that means that very – I'm sorry – I used Auburn this time instead of Alabama, right? That, that probably you have a ritual coming into the fall, right? Um, players who, who go on the field, usually a, lot of, usually a lot of athletes have a ritual that they will go through, right? Uh, because what's about to happen or what is happening is very important to them. So this is, this is not just religious. We do it in all of life, that we ritualize what matters the most to us. Okay, and so bear that in mind as we look through these uh, through these religious festivals. Um, What is it? And be thinking, be asking yourself uh, these questions. What do I care about? What do I value most? What am I what am I worshiping? Not just with my words, but actually with my heart and with my hands. What am I giving myself to? Now, these rituals say a lot about our identity. They're not, they're not just empty religious rituals. And did you realize that there's actually no such thing? There's no such thing as an empty religious ritual. Um, now, you can go through it in an empty way, but every religious ritual is made to tell a story. The reason, if you were to look at your bulletin, the reason that we structure worship the way that we do is because we believe it tells the story of the gospel. Right, that we begin by acknowledging God's holiness and perfection and glory, which causes us to confess our sin, which then we hear uh, God offer forgiveness to us in Christ, and then we hear from His Word, and then we respond with thanksgiving. Okay, so every worship service, even if your background is kind of in the um, the non-denominational, what we would call seeker-sensitive or seeker-friendly worship, even that tells a story. Right, it's more than just Three fast, song, three fast songs, a short sermon, and then another song, right? There's, there's a story that they're aiming to convey in the way that they structure it. So that's what I want you to see as we go through this. So these are telling a story. And so what, what I want to see and what I want you to see in all three of these is here's kind of the central truth we're going for. To be saved by God means to be set apart to God. That's what these three things, the the circumcision, unleavened bread, and the firstborn, are really telling the same story. That to be rescued by God, to be brought out of slavery by God, is to be set apart to God and for Him. He is the owner of those that He has rescued. And so we're going to walk through each one, um, and we're going to talk about the what. What exactly is going on, and we're going to talk about the why. So who's involved, what's happening, and why? Um, so the first one we're going to look at is we're going we're to say, 
We're going to look at circumcision. Now, I'm not going to explain the what of circumcision. Parents, that's up to you. You're welcome. All right? Um, I'm not going to explain the what there. But we see that in circumcision, we're trusting God's promises. In unleavened bread, we're remembering God's rescue. And in the redemption of the firstborn, we're remembering God's redemption. So trust, remember, remember. Those are the three words here. So trust God's promise with circumcision. It's interesting uh, that as they're getting ready to head out of Egypt and they're kind of getting set up, all three of these festivals, all three of these observances look forward to the promised land. Right. Um, Israel is leaving Egypt. They think they're only going to they're going to cross the wilderness in a few months and they're going to be at this promised land, the land of Canaan that God promised to give to Abraham. And it should only. They don't know that it's going to take 40 years. We're going to find that out later. Um, But they just think. So all of these are for when they get there. And it's interesting that when they get there, look at verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. This is how Passover is supposed to happen. No foreigner shall eat of it. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. That's not very inclusive, is it? Look at verse 45. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. What's going on? Is, is, God, uh, is God racist? Is God ethnically excluding people or economically excluding people? Why does he say no foreigner, no hired worker may eat of it? Um, now remember, God gives the Passover... As a sign of his mercy. Israel had no more right to survive the death of the firstborn than Egypt did. And in fact, if a family chose not to sacrifice the Passover, they would have suffered the same fate. That's what we mean when we say it's a sign of God's mercy. Not a, not a sign that is, Israel was ethnically superior to Egypt but that God had mercy on Israel through the Passover. And we know, right, we already we looked at it last week, there was a mixed multitude, a mixed ethnic group of people that came out with Israel. So it wasn't just the Jews who were celebrating the Passover. There was a, there was a mixed group that went with them. So the answer to the question, is God ethnically, is God a racist? Is he, is he excluding people based on their ethnicity or their culture? The answer to that question has to be, no. So why does he say no foreigner may eat of it? Well, let's look, um, look at verse 44. Every slave that is bought for money may eat of it. Okay, when, and when you hear the word slave, the Hebrew word there is a very broad word. It can mean people captured in war and put in slavery. It can mean people indentured servants. What you, what you don't need to think of is chattel slavery like what America uh, and Great Britain and the other colonies did in the 18th and 19th century. Okay, that's not that's not the Old Testament idea. I don't think it's the New Testament idea either of slavery. So when you read the word slave, don't think about chattel slavery. Um, that that's not a one to one comparison. But uh, these people, these were these were people who were bought, brought into the house to work. They were servants. And it it says that they could participate in the Passover if what? They were circumcised. Hmm. Okay. Uh, skip down a little bit to verse 48. If a stranger shall sojourn. 
You should try saying that three times fast after worship's over today. It's like seashells by the seashore. It's hard. If a stranger shall... See, can't do it. Yeah. The word for stranger there is different than the word for foreigner. The word is sojourner. So literally, that would read, if a sojourn sojourns with you. We don't do that in English. We don't repeat ourselves like that. But a sojourner was, you could think, uh, somebody who migrated to Israel to live there and wanted to be a part of worshiping Yahweh. So somebody who was not an ethnic Jew, but said, I want to worship the Jewish God. I want to worship Israel's God. I think he's the true God. I want to be a part. That person and his family could be a part if they did what? Let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. So what's the difference the difference is the desire to worship the Lord, right? When God says no foreigner shall eat of it, what he's saying is, right, that there, that there are people who might be passing through or if it's somebody that you're hiring to work on your property, but they don't want to worship the Lord. They're just, they're just temporary seasonal help, whatever. They worship Baal, right? They don't get to participate in the Passover, They don't get to be a part because they don't want to be a part. They don't want to be a part of the covenant community. If they want to be a part of the covenant community, there's one simple thing. Maybe it's not all that simple, but there's one simple thing they need to do. All the men and boys need to be circumcised. Okay, that's odd. Let's talk about that. Circumcision was given back in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, It was given to a man named Abraham and... It was given as a sign that Abraham trusted his promises, trusted God's promises, right? And so Abraham was to apply that sign to everybody in his house, ages eight days old and up. And girls and women, ladies, were covered by their connection to either their husbands or their fathers. And what this was, was a sign of trust. Abraham received God's promises and he said, I trust you. It's a sign of faith. I believe you. I trust that what you're saying is good, that you will do all that you've said you're going to do. And so when God made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham's response was to uh, circumcise himself and his household to come into that agreement. It was a constantly visible reminder that Abraham belonged to God and his future was guaranteed by God. Okay? Okay. so, if, if you wanted to come near and worship Yahweh, you and your family had to be marked, had to be cut as a sign of your trust in the Lord's promises. That's, what, that's what's going on there. So, if that seems like really deep theological weeds, just know kind of the summary version is circumcision was the sign of entering into God's people. If you wanted to be a part, you needed to be circumcised. Plain and simple. That's it. Right? Um, is there a sign? So what does that have to do with us today? Is there a sign that we use to mark those who believe and their families and say we're a part of God's covenant community? Yeah. It's called baptism. Right? And here's the difference. Jesus' uh, circumcision pointed forward. Right? It was a bloody ordeal. 
obviously. And it symbolized that someone had to be cut off in order for there to be cleansing. And do you know who that someone was? It was Jesus. Jesus was cut off. He was the bloody sacrifice. And because he was cut off, we are allowed in. But because the bloody sacrifice has been done, then we can come in. uh, He gives us water instead, right? We have water instead of blood that symbolizes cleansing. There's a whole lot more we could say about this. Uh, I don't want your eyes to glaze over too much. But we still have a sign. We still have a sign of coming into the family. It's not circumcision anymore. It's baptism, okay? Um, But here's here's what I want you to see, kind of the main point of what's going on here. God is not ethnically exclusive, right? God is not economically exclusive. And so we should stop right here. Um, Probably the time to say it would have been last Sunday, but you have a pastor who's about one to two news cycles behind, especially on a Saturday night, like the shields kind of go down, so I just don't pay attention to what's going on in the world. But let's make a response as to what happened in last last weekend, okay? Okay. There is no place for any kind of ethnic supremacy in the church or in heaven. There is is no white... Christianity and white supremacy cannot go hand in hand. Okay? Uh, There is only one supreme man, and his name is Jesus. And the way that he handled himself was by dying for other people not standing on his rights or whatever it is that these people are standing on. And so we need to say that there is no place for cultural supremacy of any sort in the church. And if you look forward to the end of the Bible, that when Jesus is worshipped in heaven, he is worshipped by a mixed group. That the church in heaven will be made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. All, if they believe in Jesus, are one. Which, by the way, already are one. The idea of race, uh, the idea of different races, is is a misnomer. There's one human race. All, regardless of the shade of skin color, all are in Adam. All of us have the same parents. And that means we're tainted by the same disease. And that means we have no right to boast about our superiority over another in front of a holy God. That, that ground is level, friend. And so we can say with Paul, all, we can even start with ourselves, all white people have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely not because of their skin color or bank account, are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, Christianity and the gospel have no room for racism. In fact, it is a heinous sin and it needs to be repented of. All right? So, that was true not only in the New Testament but also in the Old Testament. I want you to see that. That that people who were admitted to the Passover, you didn't have to be Jewish. You could be a sojourner. Right. You could be a for, you could be a foreigner who wanted to come into the people and economically there's no division. Right. The slave is the same as the master. 
Everyone can come to the table if everyone has been circumcised, right? Has, has shown the sign of faith in God's promises or their children, right? That, that has to be seen in circumcision, right? So all can come to the table as long as they were marked. There was no ethnic discrimination. There was no economic discrimination. Um, but there is, could we say, spiritual discrimination? Maybe we should say spiritual exclusion, Right. Um, We do this and we do it right. There is there is a there is a right way to keep people out. Okay, Um, one of the right ways we do that, for instance, is you cannot operate. You cannot legally operate a motor vehicle in the United States, in the state of Alabama with a driver's license. Right. If you are right, my eight year old is rightly excluded from driving a car. We make those boundaries and they are right boundaries. Okay, and what we have here is a right boundary. So if you had some if you had some seasonal help on your property and they were doing some work, but they worship Baal, they didn't want to have anything to do with Yahweh. You couldn't just take some Passover supper to them. Right. Because this is a special meal. It's a meal for the community. It's a meal for those who are in the covenant. And that means that that, you know, you don't you're not harsh with them. You don't you don't. You don't leave them hungry. Let them give them some food, right? But the Passover is not for them because they've said they don't want to be a part. And if they want to be a part, they have to first trust in the Lord, right? So what we have here is not ethnic discrimination, but spiritual exclusion. Uh, you, in order, in other words, in order to worship the Lord, you had to embrace His promises. You had to take on a new identity. You had to say, I'm no longer this, I'm an Israelite. Right, and that's, that's what we have here, right there in verse 49. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. It wasn't different laws. It wasn't like, all right, if you're not an ethnic Jew, this is, this is what you've got to do. But if you're an ethnic Jew, you get this privilege. And actually, that's what developed. That's what it turned into. If you were to fast forward a few thousand years and end up in Jesus' day, here's what the temple, the place where the Lord was, here's what it looked like. You had, the, you had the main temple precinct where Jewish men could go. Then you had outside of it, that was the court of the women. That's what they called it, ladies. You couldn't get any closer to the Lord's presence than that right there. But then most of us would fall into, all of us would fall into this category, I think. Right? Then you had the court of the Gentiles. And Gentiles, you couldn't cross over that wall. If you did, you would be killed. Right? So even Israel didn't follow this law. They didn't, they didn't observe, uh, they observed a distinction where there ought not to have been a distinction. We don't have to do that. The one marker is faith, and the one admittance is baptism. All right? The symbol of, the symbol of believing, the symbol of trusting. So, next, we remember God's rescue with unleavened bread. Look down at uh, chapter 13, verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes into this explaining this festival they would come to call the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? And it started with Passover, and it went for seven days. And then at the end of those seven days, you had another feast. Like, aren't you glad that we just observe holidays for like one or two days at a stretch, and not like a whole, whole week? Um, but for this whole week... No yeast whatsoever anywhere, right? 
You weren't allowed to eat any bread with yeast in it. You weren't allowed to have any in your house. You weren't even allowed to be seen with yeast, which I don't even know what that would look like. But you weren't even allowed to be seen with yeast in the whole territory. What's up with that? Um, There's a lot of different reasons that have been given by scholars why there was so much emphasis on this. I I think the emphasis falls on that word, remember this day. They were to observe the festival in a very specific way because they were supposed to remember what God had done. They were to remember that their ancestors had to get out of Egypt in a hurry. And so they didn't have time to let yeast set up in their bread. They just had to grab it and go. And by doing that for seven days, you think that point would have been hit home, right? Um, That like by day three, your kids are probably like, Hey, Mom, can we please have the good bread, the, like the fluffy bread, not the hard cracker stuff? Please, like I really like that bread. Nope, we can't have that bread because we're remembering what God has done. We're remembering how God brought us out of Egypt. And that's really the point of both of these things, both unleavened bread and the firstborn deal. It's all about remembering. Remembering that God brought us out of Egypt. Remembering God's salvation. Um, Remember, I want you to notice this in verse 3. Remember this day in which you come out from Egypt out of the house of slavery. There's a play on words here. Out of the house of slavery, out of the house of service. It's the Hebrew word evid. And if you look over to verse 12, excuse me, not verse 12. Look over at verse 5. When you come into the land of the Canaanites um, that God swore to give you, you will... Keep this service. It's the same word. You will literally serve this service. What God, what's God saying? He's saying, I've brought you out of your hard service, out of your slavery, Ebed, to serve my service, my Ebed. When you observe the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're remembering that you used to have a hard taskmaster in Pharaoh and in Egypt, and I brought you out of it, and I'm a good taskmaster. I'm a, you serve me now. I brought you out of serving him to serve me. I want you to remember that. Remember how God brought you out with a mighty hand. So we sacrifice the lamb as a family to remember that God passed over us. We eat bread without yeast, can't even see yeast for a whole week to remember how our ancestors left Egypt in a hurry before their bread was even ready. Also that we can remember God's mighty hand. And then the third observance, remember God's redemption with your firstborn. The Lord said to Moses, this is chapter, thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate, set apart to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then, you skip down to verse 11, Moses gives uh, some explanation as to how that's to happen. So whether you had, if, right, um, the Israelites were were sheep herders. They kept livestock. That was their primary primary occupation. There's the word I'm looking for. All right? Any time a a first-time mom bore an animal, that animal was consecrated, set apart to the Lord. If it was an edible sacrificial animal, like a lamb or a goat or a bull, it was sacrificed. Right? So... You 
killed the firstborn, right? If it was a work animal, like a donkey that wasn't suitable for sacrifice, it was an unclean animal, you didn't eat it, uh, then you redeemed it with one of the edible sacrificial animals. And if you decided you just didn't want to redeem that donkey because, you know, I don't want to waste it, I don't want to kill it, but I certainly don't want to give it to the Lord, so I'm just going to hold on to it. You didn't get to hold on to it. The, Lord, the Lord's serious about this. He says that you just break its neck, right? If you're not going to redeem your service animals, you don't think that's important, then you just go ahead and kill them. The firstborn must be set apart. And then even the firstborn of, of humans. And uh, the, there's an emphasis there on males, but the, the term is more neutral, right? It's what we call a, a, a neutral word. And so both males and females needed to be redeemed, boys and girls. And you redeem them at the temple for a certain price. So what's going on here? I mean, like, this is a lot of, uh, this is a lot of involved math. And I mean, like, this is, this is crazy. So why, what in the world does all this mean? I want you to look at, at verse 11. Um, excuse me, verse 14. Uh, if, you, if you have children or have had children, then uh, you probably, at some point in your life, came to loathe the why question. Right? Why? Well, because. Why? 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 Right? Um, one, parent, one parent told me that the way they counteracted that was they just started asking why back. And finally, the ch- child shut up and went away. Right? But you know that as you go through these different observances... The children are going to ask why. And God said, that is your moment to convey to them the story that makes your identity, right? So, Dad, why, why are we killing every firstborn lamb? Um, you know, and, and, the, and the father's response was not just, well, that's just because what we do. That's what we do around here. I don't know about you, but um, growing up in my... Growing up in my house, um, we went to church because that's just what you do, right? If you're a good person from the South, you go to church, right? Um, in fact, my parents even like were youth volunteers and taught, taught Sunday school, right? But if you were to observe what was happening in my house in between those church observances... The answer was really more like, why do we do that? Well, that's just because that's what we're supposed to do. We, we go to church because that's what we're supposed to do. Friend, that's not the answer. The father was not to answer the son, well, that's just what we do. You know, we're Israelites and that's, that's how it works around here, right? No, this was, this was the moment to convey the good news to the next generation, right? When, when your son asks in a time to come, Verse 14, when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You will say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. I mean, you get the impression that this is almost a script. That the father has, like we've already repeated it three times. So the father is meant to have this memorized. He's got to have this down pat. So that when the son asks why, the father says, because of what God did for me. Do you notice the singular there? I mean, it's a corporate deal, right? God brought all of Israel out. But when the father responds to the son, it's not just, this is what God has done for us. This is what God did for me. He brought me out of the house of slavery with a strong hand. 
He broke Pharaoh's back so that, so that we didn't have to serve him anymore. That's why we redeem the firstborn of every animal. That's why I redeem all my firstborn children. Because my slave master was stubborn. And he didn't want to let me go. And my God said, you will let him go. And I'm going to make you. And so, son, this is why we do what we do. This is who we are. This is who we are. This is our identity. We are built around this good news that we have a God who comes in and rescues his people from a taskmaster they cannot get free from. And so let's, let's draw the connection then into the New Testament. So, so what? What does all that stuff in the Old Testament have to do with us? If Jesus is our Passover lamb, which we've said that he is, and we are... In Him, if we have been baptized into Him, if we believe in Him, then this is our story too. And so, fathers, when your children say, why? Why every Sunday do we come to that stuffy room and listen to that boring guy talk for 30 minutes plus? And it is plus, and I'm sorry. Because God redeemed me with an outstretched hand. Because when I was trapped in slavery to sin, my God said, I'm going to get you out. And he did it by stretching out his hand, not in a show of force, but on the cross. My God redeemed me by spilling his blood for me. And because he has done that, We will serve him all of our days until I have no breath left in my body. That is who we are. That is our identity. Peter put it this way. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's our story. That's the story we tell. That's what we believe. That is our identity. And so we will do these same things again and again and again. And we will tell our children the same story again and again and again in hopes that our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren all believe Right, All come into Israel so that when we are gathered around the throne of Jesus from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, that I'll see my sons, I'll see my grandsons and my great-grandsons, see them all. Because this is what we do. This is who we are. We believe God's good news and we remember and we tell it again and again. What's your, what stories are you telling? What is, what is your story? What, are, what story are you conveying to your children? What are you living? Not, not in this room right now. But when you leave this room until you show up again. Is it like my, is it like my upbringing where it's just what we do so we don't, it doesn't really matter? Or does this matter every day? Is this the story by which you set your life? 
Is it the story that changes your life? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory for the grace uh, that you've shown us. We give you glory for uh, the sacrifice for the lamb. And God, we pray that you would bless, um, bless our understanding of it. Help us to understand what it is that you have done for us. Help us to tell our children the good news. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.